I was just going to say that. Does anybody know what language that was? It's not Spanish. It's Ladino. And what is Ladino? Ladino is a language like Yiddish, but it was spoken by Jews who originated first in Spain, but then spread out around the Mediterranean. Does anybody know where the largest Ladino population still exists? In Turkey. So in Turkey, you can still find Ladino newspapers and things like that. Um, it's an, actually a pretty old language, very similar to, to Yiddish. All right, so if you were here last week, I gave a sermon that was kind of more of a background of Yeshua and Yeshua's observance of Hanukkah. And so this week, we're going to talk a little bit about our Torah portion and its relation to Hanukkah. I wanted to compliment Cynthia on her uh, Hanukkah sweater back there. I was hoping to see more ugly Hanukkah sweaters. Um, I just want to bring all of your attention. Woohoo! That's uh, she's got a. It's a. It's apparently a mixed a mixed sweater. <laughs> a mixed sweater. So I decided to like be festive, and I'm wearing Hanukkah socks. If anybody. <laughs> All right, it's, I'm uh, getting ready for our, for our celebration tonight a little bit early. So anyway, so our parasha, our Torah portion be, this week begins, And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed and behold, he stood by a river. The central figure of this section of Genesis is, of course, Joseph, who at the beginning of our Parsha finds himself in prison and forgotten. Parashat Miketz tells how through the interpretation of Pharaoh's dreams, Joseph is finally redeemed from prison and elevated to the highest position in Egypt, except for Pharaoh himself, right? He was the greatest figure of all in Egypt except Pharaoh. Miketz is always read on Shabbat Hanukkah, which makes you wonder why did the rabbis choose for this particular Torah portion to always be read on the Shabbat that falls during Hanukkah? One possibility is a theme which runs through the entire biblical text and is a very central theme to the book of Genesis itself, and that is the concept called hipuch in Hebrew. The word hipuch means to turn upside down. This is why I think it's a latte, right? In Israel, it's called cafe hafuch because it is turned upside down, right? It's the coffee that's on the bottom and the cream is on the top rather than the coffee, which you add the cream in it and it falls to the bottom. So hipuch literally means to turn something upside down. And we see this over and over and over again in the Torah, that what is the thing that you expect is the thing that doesn't happen. And the most likely scenario is the one that does end up happening, right? For example, the older and younger son who ends up, you know, uh, despite what is normative within society, that's what ends up happening. So throughout the Tanakh and the Brit Chadashah, God often takes the least likely scenario and turns it on its head. For example, in the beginning of our Parsha, we read, Vaishlach paro vikra et Yosef, vyoritsuhu min habor. When Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. Just a little nerd uh, rabbit trail here. The word bor is exactly the same word that is used when Joseph is what Joseph is thrown into. It's a bor, it's a pit. But here we translate it as dungeon. 
And so out of this depths of whatever that he was cast into, that he is brought out of. And then Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. And he says, and Pharaoh said unto Joseph, for as much as God has revealed unto you all of this, there is none so discreet and wise as you. And he placed Joseph over his entire household and over his kingdom. This is a story of an ultimate hipuch. Hashem takes a forgotten immigrant incarcerated in a dungeon and makes him the second in command over all of Egypt. You need to understand just how unlikely this would ever be. Especially in our day and age, you think about God taking somebody who is looking to apply for asylum and is in, held in uh, somewhere, <laughs> and that person ends up becoming president. vice president. That's what happened here. And it's in, actually in a world where that is even more unlikely than in today's day and age, where anybody technically, if you just want to run for, you know, and, and, and do the hard work of getting elected, you could do that. But in a world where everything happened by power and by who your father is, right, that was so unlikely even then. And yet that's exactly what God does with Joseph. So let's discuss another hipuch. The figure of Joseph plays a central role in Jewish messianic understanding. In fact, in ancient times, even before the rabbis, there developed two categories as a way to understand who the Messiah is. Now, I want us to think about this for a moment because we have the, uh, the benefit of hindsight, right? It's easy for us to see in Yeshua or in the role of Messiah how all of these prophecies could make sense. But I want you to step back for a moment. So there came to be a need for either two messiahs or two different types of messiahs. And, and the reason for that is because the Torah and all of the Tanakh, all of scripture, tells us that there are two types of messianic expectations, right? And you have one set of messianic passages that all have to do with a messiah who is going to reign and conquer and establish a kingdom. And then you have another set of prophecies that talk about a messiah who will suffer who will even die on behalf of the people. And so how are we supposed to make sense of that? And so the rabbis eventually in the Talmud came up with two categories of Messiah. So the prophecies that had to do with the Messiah who would reign and conquer, they called that the category of Mashiach ben David. Like this is the Messiah, the son of David. And then the other type of prophecies that had to do with a suffering servant they called those, this category, this category called Mashiach ben Yosef, the Messiah according to Yosef. The rabbis struggled to understand the seemingly contradictory types of prophecies concerning Messiah in the Tanakh. And as I mentioned, we have the benefit of hindsight. For most of us, the answer is that one figure will perform these different roles at two different times. And the key to unlocking this is actually Joseph himself. Because we see Joseph in both of these roles. One who was despised and rejected, the suffering servant, 
and yet ends up becoming the reigning king. This is the reason why Joseph becomes a Messiah-type figure throughout the rest of the biblical text. In an unlikely scenario, God uses this figure of Joseph from our Parsha as an illustration of Messiah himself. Yosef personifies Mashiach as one who was despised by his brothers, rejected, and left for dead. Yet despite his trials, was elevated to a position of authority and became a savior of an entire generation. Does everybody get that? The connection should not be lost. In Joseph... The reason why he becomes this Messiah type is he's despised by his brothers, rejected and left for dead. Yet despite his trials, was elevated to a position of authority and became the savior of a generation. When Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, finally, which happens in next week's parasha, he states, don't be sad that you sold me into slavery that you sold me into slavery here or angry at yourselves because it was God who sent me ahead of you to preserve life. Basically, I would be your savior. This now leads us to Hanukkah. As I mentioned last week, the word Hanukkah means what? Dedication. Or in context, we can also say rededication. Hanukkah is first mentioned in the apocryphal books of Maccabees. And the festival of Hanukkah recalls two primary miracles. One was that? Okay, the oil. What's the other miracle of Hanukkah? That a small, untrained, and ill-equipped army of Jews were able to defeat the mighty forces of the Syrian Greeks. And the other one, of course, is the miracle of oil, which burned for eight days. When the Maccabees regained control of Jerusalem and drove out the forces of the Syrian Greeks, they entered the temple and they found it in ruins. Jewish blood had been spilt all over Jerusalem. The temple had been pillaged, stripped of its gold, and all of its valuables were hauled away. A pig was sacrificed on the altar, and then a statue of Zeus was erected and orgies and other sexual acts were performed in the most holy place. So once our ancestors, the Maccabees, regained control of the temple, they immediately set out to rededicate it back to God. Everything that was abhorrent to the Jewish people ended up happening in the most holy place. According to 1 Maccabees 4, Judah and his brothers said, Now that our enemies have been defeated... Let's go to Jerusalem to purify the temple and rededicate it. So the whole army passed, so the whole army was assembled and went up to Mount Zion. There they found the temple abandoned, the altar profaned, the gates burned down, the courtyards grown up in a forest of weeds, and the priests' rooms were tore down. And their sorrow, in their sorrow, they tore their clothes and cried loudly. They threw ashes on their heads and they fell down to the ground. And when the signal was given on the trumpets, everybody cried out to the Lord. He chose some priests who were qualified and who were devoted to the Torah. And they discussed what should be done with the altar, which had been desecrated. And they decided to tear it down so that it would not stand there as a monument to their shame. 
Then they took uncut stones as the Torah of Moses required and built a new altar like the old one. They repaired the temple inside and out and dedicated its courtyards. They made new utensils for worship and brought the menorah, the altar of incense, and the table of the bread into the temple. They burned incense on the altar and lit the lamps of the menorah, and there was light in the temple. And they placed the loaves of showbread on the table, hung the curtains, and completed all of the work. The 25th day of the ninth month, the month of Kislev, in the year 165, which was the anniversary of the day the Gentiles had desecrated the altar, for eight days they celebrated the rededication of the temple. With great joy, they brought burnt offerings and offered fellowship offerings and thanksgiving offerings. They decorated the temple on the front with gold crowns and shields, rebuilt the gates of the priest's rooms and put doors on them. Now that the Jews had removed the shame with the, which the Gentiles had brought, they held a great celebration. Then Judah, his brothers, and the entire community of Israel decreed that the rededication of the altar should be celebrated with a festive joy and gladness at the same time each year, beginning on the 25th day of the month of Kislev and lasting for eight days. According to the oldest traditions of Hanukkah, the heroic acts of the Maccabees and the rededication of the temple are the primary miracles of the story. However, the Talmud adds that the forces of Antiochus were driven from the temple and that only a single container of ritual olive oil was used to light the menorah. And it was found which still contained the official unbroken seal of the Kohen Gadol of the high priest. There was only enough oil for one day. However, the menorah miraculously burned in the temple for eight days, the exact amount of time that was needed to create more oil. We also know that Yeshua himself observed Hanukkah. And that was the passage that was read during our Torah service, which states, at the time the festival of Hanukkah took place in Jerusalem, a lot of English uh, Christian Bibles say, when the Feast of Dedication had arrived. Still says it was winter, but it doesn't tell you it's Hanukkah, and so most people have no clue that Hanukkah is actually mentioned in the New Testament. So at the time, the festival of Hanukkah took place in Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Yeshua went up to the temple and was walking in the portico of Solomon. Then a number of Jews gathered around him and were saying to him, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Mashiach, tell us plainly. Since the days of the Maccabees, the Jewish community has observed the eight days of Hanukkah. Hanukkah is indeed a festival of light. It recalls not just our redemption from tyranny and oppression, but is a story of hope and covenant faithfulness. For just as our ancestors, the Maccabees, overcame the forces of an enemy power, so too are we able to overcome the forces in our lives that work against us. As Romans 8.37 states, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In another great act of hipuch, God took this small group of Jewish peasants and farmers, unskilled in the art of war, and vastly outarmed, and caused them to be victorious. Despite all the odds that were stacked against them, they beat one of the greatest military powers and rejoiced before Hashem. This indeed was a miracle. There was no way they should have won. 
God has a way of taking our lives and turning them upside down. For God is always at work in unexpected ways to bring you through what seems hopeless into victory. It was impossible to imagine that a small group of poorly prepared Jewish farmers would be able to overcome a well-prepared army of Greeks or, or even to envision the recapture of Jerusalem and the rededication of the temple. But things are not always what they seem. A small amount of oil or an ill-considered younger brother, both of which were thought of as never amounting to anything, could just as well turn the world upside down. And just as that same God who wrought miracles for our ancestors do the same thing in each one of us. Each one of us has an opportunity to shine even brighter than the menorah which once stood in the temple and will stand again. God also has the ability to raise you up like Joseph and give you greater authority. But to do so requires our own rededication. As the Shaliach Shaul, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, don't you know that your body is a temple for the Ruach HaKodesh who lives inside of you, whom you received from God? The fact is you don't belong to yourselves for you were bought with a price, so use your bodies to glorify God. Some of you have allowed your temples to be defiled. You've allowed your altars to be torn down and false gods to be erected and worshipped. Through bad relationships and influence, dealing falsely, pornography, whatever the defiling acts are, you've allowed things into your temple that cloud the presence of God. And it's been like that for so long that some of you might not even notice anymore. Others of you have had your temples taken by force and defiled, resulting in shame, self-condemnation, and a lack of hope. In such a case, it's time to tear down those defiled altars and build new ones. Whatever it is, whatever it was, God has the ability to redeem you from it. Like Joseph in our Torah portion, God has the ability to bring you out of your captivity and seat you in heavenly places. Amen. You just have to believe that it's possible and, the, and that he is more than ready to heal and to forgive. It's the season of miracles. It's time for rededication. It's time to clean house Overcome our enemies and purify ourselves once again so that we can serve the living God and become all things that God has called us to be. Rebono Shalulam, master of the universe. Or Haulam, the light of the world, we come before you, God. We pray that on this feast of dedication, this Shabbat Chanukah, that we would again take seriously this idea of being a light to the world. That each one of us is a light and that we are supposed to let our lights shine.
God, some of us have let our lights grow dim. But it's time to rekindle the lamps. It's time to make sure that our lights burn so bright that we cannot even hide what you're doing within us if we wanted to. Help us to be lights in a dark world. Help us to be those who heal, who comfort, who strengthen, who raise up, who speak blessings, who speak life. Because that's what we're called to be, God, to serve a world that is hurting, that is broken, that is lost, in need. We should be able to be the ones who are reaching out to those who are on the fringes, just like our Messiah did. Because we who were once lost have been found. And it's our job to then help those who are also lost to find their way home, to find their way back to you. Help us, God, to rededicate ourselves to you on Hanukkah. That it's fun to play dreidel. It's a commandment to light our menorah. But all of it is symbolic of what should also be happening within ourselves as we relight our own kindle and kindle the own spark within ourselves, within our own souls that you have placed within us to burn brighter and brighter and brighter as each one of the Hanukkah candles is lit during Hanukkah. Help us to shine for you. Help us to be lights. Because where there is light, there is no darkness. For light dispels the darkness. Raise us up, God, and seat us in heavenly places. Help our lives to be a hipuch, a symbol of something that you have turned upside down and done something wonderful. We pray this in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen. Please rise. As we sing Mautzur, the rock of ages, recognizing this kind of call to us to rise up against the forces that come against us.